0: Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you this morning. Oftentimes, Lord, we take for granted. We take for granted our our freedom. The freedom we have to raise our hands, we take that for granted. Or we suppress it because we're concerned about what those eyes around us may think. If we exercise that freedom, we take for granted the the active, healthy working of our vocal cords, And so we reserve our singing because we're concerned of thinking about the ears around us that may think that the sound we make from our mouths is not holy. But Lord, you command us to sing unto you a new song. You call us to lift up holy hands of praise and worship to you. And the sound of your sons and daughters is never anything but beautiful in your sight. Lord, help us to exercise our freedom that we have in you. Help us to recognize our position in you. Just like when a child brings their uncle or aunt or father or mother a drawing that they've drawn, it is the most beautiful drawing in the world, not because of the, the strokes of the paint, but because of the artist. It's beautiful to us. And in the same way, Lord Jesus, as we lift our hands, as we sing with our lips, as, I, as we lift our voices high, it's beautiful to you, not because the sound is aesthetically pleasing, but because the heart is desiring to glorify you as king. And so, Lord, help us to remember why we worship, how we worship, and that tomorrow is no guarantee that we'd be able to participate in worship. There are many of those who thought this morning they'd see the, bright, the, the, the light of day. But we have, and we will take advantage of it by glory, glorying in you, King Jesus. So fill us with your spirit this morning. Draw us close to you that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the opportunity to serve and to worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Real quick, I just want to let everybody know that if you have children here, uh, the uh, the cafeteria behind me is open to parent or guardian, uh, uh, parent or guardians want to bring their children in there. Uh, We don't have any any staff or, or volunteers in there, so it'll be up to the parent or guardian to watch their children in there. And I don't believe our sermon is being piped in there. So you might have to catch it afterwards if you make that decision. So I just wanted to make sure that we knew that, that that was available to you. I'll go ahead and open your copy of God's word to the book of Galatians. We've been going through Galatians for quite some time, about about 20 weeks or so. And we're in Galatians chapter five. Hey, Jim, you got the clicker? Ah, there's the clicker. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, Alicia. Alicia with the save. Come on. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be considering verse 7 through verse 10. Before we do that, I want to give you a pop quiz, a pop movie quiz. What movie is this from? Y'all ready? Some people say they know they can't believe. Jamaica, we have a bobsled team. Y'all don't know that. Y'all don't know nothing about no cool runnings. Come on. Y'all don't know nothing about no cool runnings. Listen, y'all want to have a good family night? Go home. Popcorn. Throw on Cool Runnings. And enjoy that mug. Because it's very, it's a cheesy, funny movie. Please read, uh, watch the the movie Cool Runnings. It's a story of the first ever Jamaican bobsled team. Okay, Cool Runnings, the first ever Jamaican bobsled team. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but if you remember the circumstances that led to that team, The majority of that team were uh, Olympic grade sprinters, right? They were runners and they were doing a qualifier. See, she doesn't like bobsled. It's okay, baby. Bobsled is good. And so is the cool running, so cheer you up. These are Olympic grade uh, sprinters and they're trying to qualify for uh, the Olympic Games. And if you remember, they're running in the scene, and they're running, boom, and they're they fast, and they're making a move, bang, 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 and they're all neck and neck, all three of the top guys running, boom, and then all of a sudden, the one in the middle, the short one, the goofy one, he trips, and as he trips and he starts fumbling, what happens? The two guys next to him trip and fumble. If you haven't seen I'm giving away the movie, but still watch it, it's great. They trip and fall, boom, and they end up losing the race as a result of them tripping. That's similar to what's going on in the, in the book of Galatians this morning. The same is true spiritually for these Galatians. These Galatians were running in truth. They were sprinting quickly toward the prize, which is Christ Jesus. And seemingly out of nowhere, some brother came out of nowhere. Some brothers come out of nowhere and begin to doctrinally trip up the Galatians. To the point now where Paul has a concern that they're going to stumble and fall all the way out of the faith. It's funny. We have the same reality. It's true for us as well. I don't know if you guys have experienced this. We all have seasons where we're kind of, quote unquote, on fire for for the Lord. And we are diligent in our prayer. We're diligent in our study. We're diligent in our reading. We're diligent. We just we love Jesus in this moment. And then something comes along or something catches our eye or somebody comes into our life. And we stop running with the amount of speed in which we were running previously. That ever happened to y'all? where you were doing well, and then something almost seems like it hinders your devotion to the Lord Jesus. And the question is who, what, or why is that thing that has slowed us, that has caused us possibly to stumble in our faith? A lot of us, when we're in that season, we're functional atheists. Not actual, not intellectually. You see, as believers... We always say Jesus is Lord, but functionally, we haven't submitted ourselves to him in those seasons because we wake up and we're prayerless. We go about our life and we're, we're guideless because we haven't opened or cracked open the word. We, we, we say a lot of things with our mouth, but we're worshipless in our voice. We are functionally, we, we're functionally one thing, but we're confessionally another and oftentimes it's something that has come into our life, a person, a job, a situation, a circumstance that has slowed us down. It's caused us to stumble. And oftentimes we don't know we stumbled until we've almost dang there fell down. And praise God that he sends us spiritual mentors and leaders and friends who can warn us. Hey, brother, you're stumbling. You, your sister, you, you're going down the wrong path. When's the last time you had intimate time with the Christ Jesus? We need those. And Paul is that for the church of Galatians. He is a spiritual father, a spiritual mentor to them. Let's see what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. We're going to consider verse 7, 8, and 9, and we're just going to brush 10 right at the end. Paul says to the Galatians, he says, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? Paul is asking a rhetorical question here. He understands exactly what he's dealing with, with the church of Galatia, because the last several chapters, we've been dealing with all this theology about how we are saved by grace through faith and not as a result of our obedience to the Mosaic law covenant. Right. So he knows what he's dealing with. But he asks a rhetorical question the same way we ask a child. Is that your clothes on the floor? We know it's their clothes on the floor, but we need them to know that their clothes is on the floor. Same way God asked Adam. Oh, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God knows where Adam is, but he needs Adam to know where Adam is. And so Paul is speaking to the Galatians and he says, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? These false brothers, these false teachers are spreading false truth. And the sad reality is that it was seeming to work. Let's remember what Paul has said previously in the the same book. Paul says, brothers, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Beloved, that's that message is for us when we have those seasons of functional atheism and we live by the gospel of self-sufficiency. Right. Right. And it's almost as if the apostle is saying, I'm amazed that you've forgotten the mercy and grace, the sacrifice of our Lord, who has literally given his life to redeem you. I'm amazed that you've forgotten it so quickly. Theologically, it's the same way. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he clarifies, not that there is another gospel. Essentially, what you're doing is not good, not helpful, not godly. But there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He continues in chapter two when he says this matter, this issue that came, it arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks and tried to spy out the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Oh, I got stuff flowing in my head all over the place. It's not in the sermon. Sometimes I feel like Satan will put people in your life who act like leeches towards your faith. There's almost like spies who have infiltrated your walk with Christ and you wonder and you want to maintain those relationships, but they're detrimental to your soul. And it's almost as if they're brothers and sisters that have come in. Oh, man, there's stuff going on in my head. But we did not give up or submit to these people for even a moment. So that the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you. These this false gospel and these false teachers are preaching a gospel of law rather than the gospel of grace they were preaching a gospel of human effort mixed with the sacrifice of jesus do you guys remember last week i taught you two words the first word was impartation and the second word was imputation do you guys remember what impartation was jesus plus, something. Jesus plus. These false teachers are coming in and they're teaching that in order to be saved, in order to be redeemed by God, it's your good works plus the sacrifice of Jesus equals justification, which means being declared righteous. Right. So if I do good and I add that to what Jesus has done for me, then I'll be saved. It's a Jesus plus theology. And what the plus was, was to be circumcised and to obey the Mosaic Law Covenant. If you do these things and then you apply yourself by faith to Jesus, you can be saved. Not if you trust in Jesus, you'll be saved. It's if you do this and you do this, then you'll be saved. But what do we know about our our good works? All our righteous acts are like polluted garments. Beloved, a lot of the good deeds that we do, we do for a faulty motive. Jesus doesn't need our help to redeem us. His blood is sufficient to save in and of itself. You trusting in your ability to keep the Mosaic law covenant is you not trusting in Jesus, trusting in yourself. And in trusting in yourself, Paul has said early, uh, late, earlier in the book of Galatians, you have forfeited the grace of Jesus that, in that case. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals justification. And that's what imputation is imputation is the blood of jesus alone faith in jesus alone equals justification impartation is my good works jesus's blood mix it together it equals salvation no, it's a combination of doom it's a combination of death it's a combination that you'll find yourself striving to satisfy god with your works and you'll realize just how flawed you are because the one of the points of the law is to show you how very flawed you are and to point you to the necessity of the blood of jesus If the law is pointing you to yourself, you're using it wrong. If the law is being used as a tool to gain God's favor, you're using it wrong. If the law reveals how sinful you are, and it breaks your soul to realize who you truly are in light of the character of God, that's the purpose of the law. It drives you to Jesus. The gospel these false teachers were spewing was no gospel at all. And so Paul asked the rhetorical question. He says, you are running well. Who persuaded you regarding the truth? Beloved, the reality is this. There are false teachers everywhere. There are false teachers that go to our jobs. There are false teachers who represent us on the city blocks. There are false teachers in our government institutions. There are false teachers everywhere in many churches. There are false teachers and these false teachers pose a real danger to your soul. There are a lot of organizations and groups and cults that want you to, they want you to give your allegiance to the entity and not to Jesus. That's a dangerous proposition. When something wants you to to ascribe your loyalty to an entity or an organization, to a that's, dang, that's, that's, that's bad news. Get away from that. But if the, the entity is pointing you toward Jesus, that's the place you need to be. Yeah. Groups will tell you that they alone are the ones who possess the truth. Or they'll tell you that there is no truth. Beloved, these are both two different forms of false teachers. If you ever stroll into a church... And that church says, we, right here, this group is the only place where you will find the truth. Just here, us. Down the street, heretics. Start to wonder. Start, do you have to agree with everything that down the street says? No. But it also doesn't make them heretics either. When people try to scare you into ex- uh, exclusivity of a small group, be leery. If... Pillar Church ever says you need to be loyal to pillar before you're loyal to Jesus or the word of God. Leave here. Be gone from here. We have led you astray. We have converted to false teachers at that point. But if we point you and hold you to the word of God and direct you to the person of Jesus, that's exactly where you need to be. Here's the rub. People tend to run from that still. Because surrender is hard. Surrender is hard because we live sovereignly. If anybody is pointing you to themselves as the truth or themselves possessing the power, get out of there. You all ever seen the book of the book of Eli? That movie, the whole movie of the book of Eli is a bunch of renegade pirate cats trying to grab holding. If you haven't seen, I'm about to I'm about to spoil this for you. Okay? it's a bunch of renegades. A bunch of renegades trying to grab hold of the Bible. So that they can use the power there within to control and manipulate and that's exactly what false teachers tend to do they take the text and they place it on the people in such a way that they're able to control and manipulate the every move of those who hear their voice because the word of god is powerful in and of itself it is the ability to move you shift you change the way you think this is what they did at the transatlantic slave trade beloved they tried to tell these young Africans that they had to submit to this brutality because God says, slaves, obey your masters. Out of context. Trizzle let a slave trade ain't nothing but that scripture's talking about. But they didn't know. The power of the word held them bondage. Uh, they use it to, uh, as a form of bondage. These false teachers use persuasive words to twist the scriptures to their own gain. But look what the text says. It says, they court you eagerly but not for your good. It says this in, in, our, in our text, continuing in our text from verse 7 to verse 8, it says, This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. Guys, there are teachings that are not from God. There are fraudulent, shameful prophets and shepherds. And guess what, beloved? They will have success in this world. You know how I know they're going to have success in this world? Paul said they will. Beloved, let this be a warning to you because this could be you. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. That's why, that's why you're so loyal to Fox News and MSNBC, huh? You want to hear the spin you want to hear. They'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Beloved, it happened in the Apostle Paul's day. It happens in our day now. Beloved, oh, listen to this. When you want something to be true, you become susceptible to the lies that affirm your desires. When you want something to be true, and you want it to be true real bad, you become susceptible to the lies that will confirm your desires. That's how cults work. What is it that, that's how, that's how marketing works. I make you think you need this, that you want this, and I'm the only place you can get this. So you buy from me. At that point, the smallest divergence can eventually lead to spiritual ruin. And before you know it, your running has become stumbling. And Paul says in verse 9, he says, A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. How much leaven? A little bit leavens the whole batch of dough. Leaven, another word for leaven is yeast. Yeast is a fungus that eats sugar and releases carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide, when it's mixed with the dough, is what causes the dough to rise. And it only takes a little bit of that dough in order to make the whole batch. I mean, a little bit of that leaven, that yeast to make the whole batch rise. Now, contextually, the biblical writers often use this word, this, this yeast, this, this object lesson as a metaphor for how quickly sin and false teaching can spread throughout God's people. It only takes a little bit of heresy to land God's people really far off track. It's like I've used this example. If I'm flying to Australia and it's this way, if I start my course off just a little bit, I end up in a whole different area of the world. Right. Because it's so far down the road. The preference contextually, if you can get it in your mind's eyes to be unleavened bread. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that there's a premium and a value on unleavened bread. Here's the problem. In our modern day, this almost seems anachronistic because none of us make bread. 90% of y'all, what you do is you go to the market or the bakery, they make the bread, you give them the green. you bring home the goods. So I want to use another example, an example of something that easily spreads, an example of something that you or someone you know has dealt with, something that spreads and that is just as deadly, cancer. We all know someone, if not ourselves, who has had or struggled with cancer. Cancer is dormant in almost every cell within the human body. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of what cancer is. Cancer are cells that continuously replicate and grow infinitely, right? They don't stop growing until the host is dead. They evade our body's natural growth suppressors and immune system. Right. Your body has signals that tell your cells when to multiply and when to stop multiplying. That's why if you when you get a cut, your body sends signals to multiply until the cut is healed. And then it sends signals to stop. So that the job is complete. No extra needs to be done. But cancer cells are able to evade and ignore those commands from your body that say stop multiplying. And it says no. Cancer cells are able to resist natural programmed cell death called apoptosis. Your cells are programmed to die at some point. That's why your, your skin falls off. And sometimes we damage cells and, 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 and it's more. Y'all can tell I've been studying cancer lately. I really have been. And one of the most deadly aspects of cancer is metastas- is when it metastasizes, meaning when it spreads throughout the body. Cancer occurs when... Cooperative cells, which are part of a multi cell organism, decides to revert back to a single-celled organism. single cell organisms are selfish by nature, and when they're converted into that, they begin to basically eat anything and everything in its path, which is why the tumors within the body of the person with the cancer tend to continuously grow. And what is it eating? Any and every other cell, the thing around it. Many of us know people who have had surgery or have had chemo to eradicate cancer. What happens if that doctor misses just a little bit of that cancer? If that chemo doesn't kill every last one of those cells, you guys know what happens? We've experienced it. It's been in my family and in yours. That cancer comes back more aggressive than ever. And it's able to morph and shift and change because now it's endured the chemo, so now it knows how to fight against the chemo the next time you go through it. Wretched, deadly horrible reality and it's just like false teaching false teaching there's nothing new in in our current day in terms of false doctrine it's something that the church has failed to stomp out years ago and so it comes back in a new form in a new light with different colored jeans on and it begins to spread throughout the body paul is reminding us of the predatory multiplying effect of false teaching in the body And that heresy of every kind should meet its maker once it dawns the church. And by God's grace, the the, the scriptures teach us how to find false teaching and false teachers. And so I'm going to give you four ways that we can identify false teachers. And I want you to apply this to anybody you've allowed to lead you spiritually. Me and our pastors, anybody else that may lead you spiritually, apply these principles. The first way that you identify a false teacher... Jesus says this. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. Matthew, chapter seven. He says, be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Implication is like, right. No. Right. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. What Jesus is doing right now, he's telling us that we're going to recognize a false teacher by their life. He's putting a premium on holiness the holiness of the person, and this is why proximity matters. Time and proximity help you to recognize whether or not somebody is a false teacher. You have to be into their lives. This is why I warn you, be careful when you follow internet preachers. You don't know the heart of that individual communicating to you no matter how smooth his speech is, no matter how tight his exegesis is, no matter how great his examples may be or her examples may be. It's hard to know if they're in an adulterous relationship when you're watching them online. It's hard to know what their motivation is when you watch them from a distance. You can't tell their heart, you can't tell whether or not their heart is greedy or not when you see them on a screen. You can't even discern if their life practices the sound doctrine that they say out of their mouth. And that's why he puts a premium on holiness. You're going to know them by their fruit, which demands that you have an intimate relationship with those who are leading you. You should have been in their home. You should have had meals together at some point. Over time, you'll see what kind of men and spiritual leaders they are. You're going to see their imperfections. You're going to see their mistakes, but you'll inevitably see a person that strives for holiness. You're going to see a person that has a hunger for the word of God. You're going to see a person who yearns for Jesus and a person who truly cares deeply for your soul. So if you want the first thing you want to know if someone is a false teacher, you have to have proximity to that person. And watch them closely. Guess what? That's an invitation for you all to watch me. Understand that. Like, I'm not separate from this. I'm in this mug with you. Watch me. I'm a man. I sin. Yo, Pastor K, I don't know about that, B. Let's pray. I repent. Just like you. That's how we roll. Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. So watch the fruits of your spiritual leaders. Second, false teachers are going to major in the minors. Okay, they're going to major in the minors. What do I mean? They're going to try to woo you with conspiracies. Okay, that's what false teaching organizations do. They woo you with conspiracies. I want to show you three different scriptures that will allude to this. Titus chapter 1, verse 10 through 14. Paul, speaking to Titus, he says, For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. What are they full of? Empty talk and deception. Especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. What's he talking about? Stomp that mug out now. Y'all see that? Why? It comes back and it metastasizes. It's it's necessary to silence them. They're running entire households. I'll be ruining entire households by teaching what they should not in order to get money dishonestly. This is happening in Paul's day, beloved. It's happening in our day. Rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to. Key words, Jewish myths, and the commands of people who reject the truth. Keep some key words in your head. Empty talk and deception, Jewish myths. Keep those, those types of words in your head. Let's look what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, okay? He's giving you a blueprint for recognizing false teachers. They're going to push on you myths and endless genealogies. These promote speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned aside to fruitless discussion, similar to the empty talk that Paul told Titus about. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. But you know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. Remember earlier, I talked about the illegitimate uses of the law. If it doesn't point you to Jesus, you're using it wrong. Later, he says this to Timothy. Now, the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose conscience is seared. They forbid marriage. Here we go. You ready? False teachers, ready? They forbid marriage. And demand abstinence from foods that God created to receive a gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Beloved, a false teacher is going to point you to conspiracies, myths, genealogies, speculations, law, forbidding of marriage, forbidding of foods, and empty talk. If you run into an organization that has these characteristics, run. Run. They're going to major in the minors. And there are certain organizations, even within our city, that do this. That What they do is they get you foiled with questions that no one has the answer to. And then they cause you to question the very thing you believe, which has nothing to do with it, the thing that they tried to foil you with. And then you lose all hope in the thing you believe and they woo you into falseness. So they major in the minors. They woo people with speculation because their substance is suspect. The third thing they do is they minor in the majors. OK, they make themselves the center of Scripture rather than Jesus. And I want to point you all to these scriptures that this is what this teaches. Look, look at John chapter one, verse forty five. If you want to know what the what the scriptures are talking about, I'm going to show you Philip and Nathaniel. uh, Philip found Nathaniel and told him we have found the one Moses wrote about who's Philip and Nathaniel. They're, They're followers of Jesus. Right. This is when Jesus first pops on the scene and they're saying, yo, I found the one who Moses was talking about. When did Moses write first five books of the scriptures? Old Testament, it's the law, which means all of that is pointing to somebody. All those sacrifices, pointing to somebody. All those clothings with the different types of stones in them, pointing to somebody. Tabernacles being erected with certain dimensions, pointing you to somebody. The very initial creation of the whole world, pointing you to somebody. Joseph being thrown in jail, being able to redeem his people from Egypt, because of pointing you to somebody. Moses wrote about Jesus. But if your interpretation of Scripture is Moses wrote about you and your people, wrong. Nathaniel just told me. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did in the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Here's another one. Jesus is speaking. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, you pour over the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. Yet it is they... Those scriptures that talk about who? Me. Luke 24, 27. Jesus. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus started interpreting for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. False teachers will tell you that the Bible is about them. False teachers will tell you that the Bible's about you. Here's a hard word for you. Remember, I'm not going to tickle your ears. Bible's not about you. It's not about you. It's not. I know we hear that and this is what we do in our Bible studies. We read, what does that mean to you? It's not about what it means to you, beloved. It's not. It's what does it mean? Full stop. And then the question is how does that apply to me? But it's about our Lord and Savior and what he's done. A false teacher is going to be hard-pressed to tell you that this, what the scriptures say, that the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is the story of Jesus. The Old Testament prepares us for his coming. The New Testament reveals his coming and teaches, teachings. The Noahic covenant finds, it foreshadows Jesus. The Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. The Mosaic covenant finds its end in Jesus. The Davidic covenant finds its eternal king in Jesus. All the Psalms and prophets point you to Jesus. And that's why Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God are yes and amen and Jesus. Everything is pointing you to him. And so the ultimate interpretive question you have, beloved, when you're reading your Bible at home, is how does this get me to Jesus? That's the first, is what is it saying about God? Okay, what, what realities is that of as implications for me? Okay, where is this pointing me? It's going to point you directly to the Savior. It's not about you. The scriptures are not about your law keeping. It's not about your good works. All of human history is his story. Jesus is the center of the scriptures, not you, not me, not your people, not my people. And then he says it again to these dudes in case they forgot. Then he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's like, I was teaching you all this the whole time. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, this is that, and that's a Hebraic way of summarizing the whole Old Testament, beloved. They, they must, uh, everything written about me must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. A false teacher is going to minor on the majors. The fourth thing they're going to do is they're going to minimize the truth of verse 47. They're going to minimize the gospel. Remember what these false teachers were teaching in what imputation or impartation? Impartation. Jesus, his blood plus my works equals salvation. That's a minimizing of the gospel. That is a mark of a false teacher. This is how Paul summarizes the gospel to the Corinthians. Now, I also want to say this. No author of the scriptures, no author of the of the New Testament, says the whole gospel in its total package at one instant in the scriptures. They give elements and pieces that contextually apply to the person or group that they're speaking to. And so sometimes the author will emphasize the reality of the Father's love for them as his primary means of getting getting them to Jesus, and that's okay. Sometimes the author will emphasize the reality of a person's sin in order to get the person to Jesus, and that's okay. Sometimes they'll emphasize... Uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus to get you to Jesus. And that's okay. The gospel is always given contextually to the people it's given to. But this is a great summary of the gospel. It's one of the best one verse or two verse summaries of almost the entire message. Paul says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. If if the teacher in question proclaims proclaims proximity to God or the forgiveness of sins by a different means, they're a false teacher. If anybody tells you you get to God by another way, that's a false teacher. Look what uh, Luke writes in the the uh, the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to go all the way to verse 12. It's a great narrative. The next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. And with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they were locked up previously, stand before them, they began to question them. And this is what they asked them. By what power or in what name have you done this? They had previously healed a man. If somebody was lame and they said, I have not no money, I got nothing for you but but, but Christ. He says, stand up and walk. And he stands up and walks. In what power, by what name, have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, "Rulers and, pe- and the rulers of the people and elders, if, there, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what me- by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you." And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, uh, whom you crucified, and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you healthy. Yo, that's bold. Oh, that got me juiced up. I'm sorry. Hold on. This is what we're scared to do when we're at the coffee shop. That's what we're afraid to do when we're at the car dealership, at the grocery store, at the bowling alley. We don't say by whom's name we've been redeemed. We think they're going to see the gospel on us. Sure, that's great. Tell them. They saw the healing. They know what's up. Let it be exclusive. No other name did it. Jesus did it. Use tact. Use smoothness. But don't don't neglect the name of Jesus. Can I read that one more time, verse 10? Let it juice you up. It's okay. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, he's he's indicting them in the, you crucified him, God raised him, can't stop him. By his name, uh, by by him, this man is standing before you healthy. This Jesus, the stone rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Then he says this in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. How many other names? No other names, which means your name is not in there. You can't add to it. You can't help God help you. You know what i say saying? God helps those who help themselves. What we'll verse they get that from? Second Hesitations, chapter 8. No false teacher is going to point you to Jesus exclusively. And if they're not pointing you to Jesus exclusively, start to ask some questions. If myself or our pastors ever lead you to some, something, uh, ever try to point you to, to, to something other than Jesus or a principle through which his teaching apostles have, have specified, ask a question. We only want to do God's will and what he said. Ask. I promise At some point i don't promise i hope not but at some point we might need your help to direct us and at some point you may need to simply follow what you can't see but if the teachers before you have a track record of leading you to jesus they're trustworthy men trustworthy women (coughs) Jesus says this in John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I plus your works, nah. What's he saying? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes except to the Father, except through him and him alone. Beloved, indeed, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's demonstration of his love for us. His example of how long and how powerful his arms are to reach us is demonstrated in the person of Jesus through whom we're able to reach and have access to God the Father. And this is what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. He says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Why is that verse important? Because he's not this, but this verse applies to a people who have been striving and working for their own salvation their whole life. They're, war- they're burdened. In about a week, a video will be coming out about me explaining the different ways that the authors of the scriptures use the word yoke. It's not always bondage, but in this context, it is. He says, "Come to me, those who are weary and, and burdened, I will give you rest. He says, "Take upon me, take upon you my yoke. My yoke is light. My burden is light. If that's us this morning, beloved, we have to believe and rest on the truth of the birth of the life, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and him exclusively for our relationship with God to flourish. Don't be persuaded by false teachers and false teaching that are from people who have immoral actions, and that's perpetual immoral actions, that feed you conspiracies and speculations. Here's another way you know about false teachers. If they're more known for what they're against than what they're for, problem. If they're more known for being against this thing, but not what they're trying to, to push forward to you positively, be careful. Their whole entity is built on hate to somebody or something. Watch it. They'll point you to themselves rather, or to yourself rather than Jesus, and they'll minimize the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul says this. In Galatians chapter 5. Here we go. He says, You were running well, but I love the Galatians. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. These are false teachers, he's saying to them. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. You got to be careful, it only takes a little bit. He says, I myself, now this is a vote of confidence in the people. I myself am persuaded. I'm persuaded that in the Lord, you will not accept any other view. But whoever, is, whoever it is that is confusing you, they will pay the penalty. That's a warning for all who call themselves a spiritual teacher. Beloved, don't let anybody trip you up in your dead sprint toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Never let anybody get in the way of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you need. That's who you need to run to. And beloved, that's who we're going to point you to. Y'all remember our, our, our vision mission statement? Leading people closer to us, to Jesus first. And as a result of us all getting closer to Jesus, what happens? We get closer to each other. Beloved, let's do this. Let's fight the false teaching in our communities. Let's identify the heretics and stomp it out now so that our children don't have to deal with the metastasized cancer that we ignored. And that happens by being bold in your faith, loving Jesus, and letting everybody, that every good deed you do, be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for allowing us to look at Galatians chapter 5. And I pray that we would be persuaded like the Apostle Paul to not stray away from being bold for our faith and not allowing false teachers to direct us or move us or manipulate us from the truth of faith in Jesus alone. Lord, we've been going through this book and throughout all of Galatians, you're laying down the theological groundwork for salvation by grace through faith alone. You take us all the way back to Abraham to do so. It's true. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Help us to hold fast to that to proclaim that, and to open, uh, use us to open the eyes of those who can't see to the beloved love and grace of our Lord Jesus. Help us to point people to no one else. Help us to point people to people who will point them to Jesus, so that your name may be all in all, that you may be magnified, glorified, and praised. We give you all the praise, O God, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.